Hand Me My Sword. That's the name of our series that we are doing on the book of Nehemiah. We're in the process of unfolding or extracting eschatology from the Old Testament. Welcome to number 10. Nehemiah knew that he and the people of Jerusalem needed to do the work by using God's exact plans. He, by faith, needed to embrace this and implore the workers to function with faith, even if they did it on the faith of Nehemiah. Furthermore, the people needed to accept that Nehemiah had no intentions of associating himself with those who would seek to stop what God had ordered him to do. He was firm in his beliefs, but he always kept the task first, and then relationship second. That was one of Nehemiah's golden keys of success. This is also a modality that I function by, while it wounds weak people. It is imperative in God's plan of rebuilding. Jesus himself demonstrated this. Remember when the messenger told him Lazarus was dying? His reply? I am about my father's business. As you know, Lazarus died while Jesus was tending to his father's business. Nonetheless, Jesus understood that nothing should get in the way of the father's assigned task. Let's take a look at our overview Number one, discovering what to do in a crunch. This is often the time that leaders tend to hesitate. In reality, when the crunch comes, this is the proof in the pudding of what that leader is made for. Number two, when all else fails, read the instruction manual. Of course, for us, that's the word of God. God has spent most of the Bible trying to detail for the people how to live. Well, in today's times, Christ Jesus. Back then, during Nehemiah's times, it was the old covenant and the words that God had mankind record for the people. Number three, the top ten errors Nehemiah avoided. This is going to be an exciting part of our message today. Through the years as I have studied leadership, I have been able to come up with 10 items that leaders should avoid. Number four, replicating Nehemiah's method of solving dilemmas. Where did he learn such things? Did he get it from God directly? Or was it a part of the mentorship process that he experienced while being under the regional king? Number five, connecting Nehemiah's methodologies to Christ and prophecy. Thank you for joining us today. We're excited about the details we will be unfolding through Old Testament eschatology. Let's review our scriptures for today. It says in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 19, Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of the king Artaxerxes, 
For twenty years neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides forty shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, my table one hundred and fifty Jews and officials, besides those who come to us from the nations that were around us. Now that which was prepared for each day was an ox and six choice sheep. Also birds were prepared for me, and once in ten days all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all of this I did not demand the governor's food allowance, because the servitude was heavy on this people. Remember me, O oh my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Let's take a look at problems, problems, and more problems. Now in chapter 5, further problems arose, and this time from within. If Satan can't defeat you from his forces from without, then he seeks to wreck you from the forces within. A common and predictable madness method of Satan. It works almost every time. The church's greatest enemies aren't the atheists or those godless forces outside the church. Statistics prove it was from self-proclaimed body members of Christ. Yeah, that's what I said. Body members of Christ. Fractions in body life hatred within the church. And usually, the thing behind it is jealousy, which rises in the church from greed and differing opinions of the end times. Minimally, through self-as-God views of the Holy Scriptures. And the tragedy of the infighting within the church sets the enemy up to destroy the protective walls from the inside out. You would think that the church would wake up to the fact that we are all one body working together for one king, one lord, but no, they work to destroy each other with their demonic wisdom, which is none other than a self-perceived interpretation of what God means by what God says. Tragically, the church cannot realize that we should be working together for the cause of the indwelling life of Christ by working on rebuilding the walls surrounding the body of Christ. Our problem is that we haven't properly identified the enemy, or for some, functioning in the stupidity of Satan doesn't exist. Our enemy isn't the church, fellow opinionate of the Bible, or loved ones betraying us. It is, however, the spirit of the Antichrist using real and fake body members to practice demonic doctrines. As with the seven churches in the New Testament, 
As we explore the warnings that Jesus gave almost all of those seven churches, we find a common denominator. That the enemy has used this technique of tacking from without while embedding spies and fake Christians to create this unsettling differing of doctrines of what Jesus said and what his first generational leaders were proclaiming during that time. So this technique of attacking from the outside shifts the focus of the people to, obviously, the outside, so that the plants, the spies, that the enemy has sent into the churches began to create controversies, differing of doctrines, and inner fighting. James 3, 13, 15 communicates a very powerful statement. Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Self-interpretation is one of the leading causes of destroying local fellowships. I agree the pastor must keep his focus on the word of God, and whatever comes out of the mouth of these pastors better be verified by the authentic word. But when many congregants find a weakness in their pastors, they start doing the self-interpretation to combat the leader that God put in place. This same modality took place during Nehemiah and his time of committing to fulfilling God's orders of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem and reactivating the faith of the Jews. Here is a golden secret of the spirit of deception. Satan uses two modalities simultaneously. First, attacking the authentic believers externally. Secondly, attacking real deal believers from within the church walls. And in Nehemiah's case, that was within the walls of Jerusalem. And Satan does that through the modality of flesh that remains in each of God's people. Let's review the ten sins Satan tempts God's people to demonstrate. Ten graven errors. Number one, withholding information. The most common error in Christianity is body members withholding critical information from their spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders need data put on their desk in front of them. They need to know what the troubles are within the church. They need to know the names behind the troublemakers. And many times, body life members keep this information away from the leaders. This information could involve sins, gossip, or motives. It sets the leader up for an attack that the member previously knew. Thus, this member was used to destroy the pastor's authority. 
or in the case of ministries, it could be the ministry leader that God has appointed for that particular outreach. Number two, not making time for discipleship. True, we live in a culture where we say, I can do it myself. Yes, even within the body of Christ. Most reach out to their authorities after the hidden matters backfire and take control of their minds. The key is going to the elders of the church when the Spirit reveals you have a problem. Sadly, this is a confession of putting pressure on the discipler, the pastor, or the leader to clean the mess they created. Fact, aftermath discipleship never works. The one who comes to them after the fact becomes disappointed because the pastor-teacher-leader cannot fix their problems, forgetting, of course, that they're the ones that created the problem. So therefore, they detach, dump the leader, and move on. Three, being too hands-off. Body members who don't go to work after being convicted by the Spirit of the sin that they committed return to the sin that initially trapped them. Our Mimi church members typically like growth materials. However, growth, faith, without action, works, is dead, fruitless, and impotent. Number four, being too friendly. The Word of God tells us in a very simple way. Do not be friends with the world. Today, people want to be friends with everybody. However, James 4.4 tells us something quite different. It says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Many believers that I talk to today didn't even know that verse existed in the Bible, let alone in probably one of the most pivotal chapters in the New Testament, where God reveals to the people the reason for their quarreling and fighting and how to preserve themselves from doing so. And that is do not be friends with the world. Number five, failing to be organized in Christ. Yes, that's correct. Christ expects you to be organized in your day. Statistics reveal that we live in a lazy society and that this lazy society that we're in today is the worst that they have seen in world history. Lazy body members are fruitless in fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. They might be out there on the streets with picket signs about abortion or antivirus or whatever the modality is of the day. They are like salt that has lost its punch. They do not put the gospel at the end of their videos, their articles, or their postings. The answer is simple. When you hear the voice of Christ, take action immediately. A friend once said to me, The sin of procrastination is Satanism in action. Number six, misunderstanding authority. The greatest excuse abused in humanity is 
if one does not understand the orders or guidelines of authority, dump them. It is the follower's responsibility to ask for clarification. Instead, most dump the authority like a scorpion in hand. How could Nehemiah possibly understand every thought and intention that was going through the minds of his workers? He could not. Plus it was not his job. It was the responsibility of the workers to make sure that they are receiving the correct orders from the leader. Number seven, too busy to serve your leader. Can you imagine that being an issue during Nehemiah's governorship? It's almost ridiculous to think about that. Satan loves this one. All are under authority. That's a fact. While culture fades in this principle, it will remain true. Spiritual leaders count on body members to help accomplish their local mission. Members who are too busy for their church or their objectives become the enemy of their fellowship. That is what we're going to talk about more today. And that is the problems, problems, problems that arise in Nehemiah's fulfillment of God's orders. Number eight, not walking the talk. Christians in general are sick of hearing this spoken statement. It's too bad though. Faith without action is dead. It's fake. So true faith requires true works. Let's face it. Talking about what you believe is much easier than living what he believes in you. So what do most end up doing? Falling into hypocrisy. Keep this in mind. Hypocrisy is the tool Satan uses to bring down the walls of protection. Key. If you are not willing to walk what you're taught, keep your mouth shut. God deals with false vows in a very serious manner. If you need to learn a little bit more about that, I challenge you to study chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. Number 9, not being dependent. Leadership 101 has this at the top of the list of threats of successfully fulfilling a task. Effectiveness is solely dependent on those you can depend upon. Fact is, everyone is a liar until they are grafted into a loyal, obedient, and dependent person. And of course, that's Jesus Christ within you. Too harsh for you? Study 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. These three books are too harsh for many believers today to study. Not me. I find the balance between the law of the spirit of life and the believer's self-proclaimed beliefs and the new covenant theology. Number 10. Misunderstanding the role of being a Christian. Our role is not to guarantee salvation or in being loved by God or even growing in Christ. Our role or calling is to go into the nations and make disciples of Jesus Christ. 
This should be accomplished through the leadership of the fellowship you attend. If your fellowship is weak in this methodology, seek out a Christ as life discipler. What we find in our church culture today is people who are indulgent to the elementary principles of the gospel. It's called the milk. That milk is grace. Many of our people today are addicted to the milk. When you throw a T-bone steak in front of them, meat, they have no idea how to digest the true proteins of the gospel. Let's review our generous leaders. Nehemiah was known for his generosity spiritually, psychologically, and financially. While it is the responsibility of a leader to have such qualities, sad to say, most take advantage of these leaders to be selfish, independent, and build their self-life. The church is not the place to have your needs met. Is that shocking? Well, Christ is ordered by his Father to do that within you through your daily walk in Christ. Although, it is for building up the body of Christ through instruction to advance the gospel. However, today it is all about meeting the needs of the attendees. Thus, authentic discipleship has faded into a culture-friendly missional movement that rubs in the face of Christ. The results? The church is filled with a socialistic ideology of I don't have to work to eat. Translated as, I don't have to work for the church to be of the church. If this is true, these followers will need to explain this. Faith without works is dead. Again translated out as, Christianity without works is fake Christianity. Let's review counting the cost As with all quality leaders, Nehemiah made sense of the basic needs for the prosperous task God gave him. He knew it was his responsibility to use weaknesses to advance a work ethic. Now that sounds like a paradox for most believers. It is not. It's one of the keys or the secrets of leading people. You use their weaknesses to advance them with the task. You can review more about how God used Paul's weaknesses to advance the power of Christ within him out of Hebrews chapter 13. Not only Nehemiah knew, but also Paul knew that it was his responsibility to use the weaknesses from within and the weaknesses of the people to get things done through the power of God back then, and with Paul, the power of Christ from within the New Testament believer. As for the Jews working the plan of Nehemiah, he knew using food was this basic motivating need. However, Nehemiah counted this cost before he started the plan. Luke 14 verses 28 through 30 says this, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, 
does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish it, all who observe it began to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. God doesn't care about your reputation. He does care about his reputation in you. The reputation of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the fuel that he uses to advance the gospel. To have people in the community, in the world, to believe you when you speak the truth. Well, Nehemiah was not about to be strapped with this reputation. Remembering he evaluated the full condition of the state of Jerusalem before he started. He reviewed the following. Number one, he understood there was a famine in play. And he was about to use that famine to accomplish one of the greatest works completed in the Old Testament. Number two, the king extracted too many taxes. By Nehemiah being the cushion between the king and the people and the authority that was given to Nehemiah, he had the ability to cut taxes. Number three, there were excessive interest rates forcing Jews to sell everything. Again, because of the authority given to Nehemiah, he was able to put a gap between the people that were doing this to the Jews or the Jews upon the Jews and save that money, save that time, and save that work ethic for the wall. Number four, the people were not honoring God in their beliefs. This might be a mystery to some people. You would think that all the Jews within Jerusalem at that time were loyalists to Judaism. They were not. Keep in mind that they just came out of 70 years of bondage under the Babylonians. Folks, that's a little over a generation. So the people like Nehemiah, who was actually born in Babylonian practices and beliefs and religions, were still functioning by Babylonian thought. This is why that Nehemiah needed to set Ezra up to reignite the beliefs of Judaism. Fact is, is that Nehemiah had a twofold, two sides to the coin mandate that he need to re-energize. The first side is protecting Jerusalem, the holy motherland. The second is protecting themselves and believing what God says through the practices of Judaism. Number five, the people were fearful, discouraged, and hopeless. That is a common thing we've had to deal with humanity throughout all the ages. Fear is the number one tool that Satan uses to unplug your actions. Discouragement is another one of the leading factors involved with people deconstructing their faith. And hopelessness, well, we both know this. Hopelessness makes you lazy. Number six, most of the Jews were lazy and inactive. 
Once the enemy has us in a lazy, inactive mode, Satan is able to come in from all sides of your life and paralyze you in fear. The bottom line was the Jews themselves were breaking the standard mandates of Judaism. While he maintained the principle of calculating the cost of completing a job assigned, their habit, starting and stopping, the rebuilding when it was taxing their integrity, resulting in more laziness. Reviewing our primary principles in our study. Number one, problems. Stand on solutions, not complaints. People complain because of their flesh. People complain because God won't change His sovereign plan to match their feelings. Number two, avoid errors. Stand against the modalities of their enemy. Well, in order to stand against methods that the enemy is using, you have to be alert. Look out into the horizon, see the enemy approaching externally. And then turn around and look within the walls and see who within the body of believers is creating complaints, controversies, or rebellion. Generosity. Refusing the temptation of abusing generosity. This too is a common sin that humanity practices. They put the full responsibility on the leaders and less of the responsibility on building up the leaders, holding up the leaders' hands so that victory can be accomplished. Number four, counting the cost. Be willing to give it all for the mission of Christ. Now in Nehemiah's day, it was certain that he was requiring the people to give it all for the Lord thy God, God the Father of eternity. In conclusion, from the day Nehemiah was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, he knew that he had the responsibility to report to the earthly king. He had to state his progress and his failures. Shortly after he finished the wall, in 52 days, he gave the king an account of his success and how things stood in Judah. Furthermore, as with Christ, he used the weaknesses of the Jews to advance the mission assigned to him by the living God. Overall, it wasn't about the people It was about the prophetic end of God's will. From what is related here, the people always supplied the governor's table with bread and wine. The people were also greatly oppressed by the servants and officers of the governor. But during the twelve years that Nehemiah had been with them, he refused a salary from the king. Can you imagine that? In fact, he paid for the expenses out of his own pocket. Can you imagine that? Having such an example for the Jews, it was scandalous for their chiefs, priests, and nobles, thus to oppress and afflict and distress the people. 
Nehemiah's act of kindness forces the nobles, chiefs, and priests to follow his example. I can assure you they were not happy about this. And since Nehemiah was their governor, they had to comply. If not, it was time for the Jews to find another leader in another nation. Coming up next in number 11, Conspiracy Against Nehemiah. Surprise, surprise. No, not really. Every effective leader has to deal with conspiracies that rise up against them. That's a fact. It was known throughout the ages from the Garden of Eden all the way up to today. Fact is, Nehemiah's enemies were not yet through with him. They continued to break the mandates of God. They continued to put doubt in the minds of the people serving Nehemiah. They continued to seek to hinder the work and try to discourage Nehemiah. And so when the external enemies saw that the work was going on and the walls were about to be complete, and there were just a few breaches left in the walls, that the enemy sent a message to Nehemiah. And they said this, Come on down into one of the cities, one of the villages, that we might talk with you, and that we might talk about a peaceful coexistence for all. Folks, this is one of the key deceptions that Satan uses in our world today. Almost every day on the news you hear about world peace, one world government, one world religious leader. And behind it, they believe and reveal that their motive is world peace. Meanwhile, you have God through Christ Jesus revealing to his up-to-date prophets that there's another system that is already more powerful than any peace movement in the world. In fact, in the Old Testament, it says they call for peace, peace, but there is no peace. How relevant is that in our movement of today? That's why this reveal in the book of Nehemiah is prophetic. It is the same technique that Satan will try to use in his final hours of being on this earth. So stay with us as we continue to unfold the power of eschatology in Hand Me My Sword. Until next time.